How exactly are you believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There's a couple ways you can do that. Sometimes we lean one way more than another. The scripture gets fairly clear. It's no coincidence we'll be talking about that today on Resurrection Sunday, obviously. Acts 16 and 31 says this, Paul speaking to a guard who actually was supposed to keep them in prison, though God let him out. He said this, so they say, believe unto Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. We're called, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. And it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess. So here we go again. Believe that God raised him from the dead. So there's a belief and then there's a belief that God raised him from the dead. Right? You got those two fairly core issues going on there. Now, some of you may have heard this story. I'm sure you did. It's about a man named Misha Katsurin, who was a restauranteur in Ukraine. As the war broke out, he began to wonder why his father had never called to check on him. His father lived in Russia. So not waiting for him to call, he decided, I'll call him. And he began to describe that their hospitals their nurseries, their civilians, their condominiums were being bombed and that children, men, and women were dying left and right. To which his father replied, no, no they're not, son. The Russians are actually providing aid and clothing to people who are hurting. The Russian soldiers are agents of compassion. He soon realized that his father did not believe a word he was saying because his father was informed otherwise. His father was told that there was no war. His father was informed and led to believe in his mind that there were no issue, that his grandchildren were in no harm, that his son was in no harm. So much solidified was this mentality that the father never asked how his grandchildren were doing, nor if his son was okay. He was so solidified mentally with the idea that the Russians were in no way, shape, or form doing what his son, his son was telling him. It so was solidified in his mind that it trumped any any kind of, of concern or compassion for his family. He was convinced in his mind of what reality was, whether or not reality dictated otherwise in another part of the world. The son soon realized that by posting this story online, he got 135 comments immediately, 135,000 comments immediately. So he realized the family members of those in Russia are the only means by which they will understand the truth. And he started a website for family members alone to have their parents, their uncles, their aunts go to and understand what truly is happening in Ukraine. Brilliant. How is that relative for us today? 
So many people are so convinced on matters of Christianity and religion that no one, even though they demonstrate otherwise, even though they are liberated, even though they are delivered, even though they're no longer using drugs, even though they're, they're no longer the same person they used to be, that they are convinced in their minds otherwise, and nothing, not even reality, will change their mind. You see, I think we have to ask the question today, how do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Is it a mental thing? Or is it perhaps more? Before you're quick to answer, give me an opportunity, if you would, to further explain. People today are saying this, and they're saying it because the world is full of propaganda. The world is full of subjectivity. The world is full of nonsense, lies. And I think it's fairly clear that a lot of people are saying this, I just don't know what to believe anymore. I just don't know what to believe anymore. And that's one step away from, I don't know who to believe anymore. I just don't know who to believe anymore. And that's one small step away from this. I don't know if I can believe in Jesus anymore. It's not that much of a leap if you're inundated constantly by messages, or if you allow yourself constantly to be bombarded by messages that speak otherwise. Well, you can say, yeah, how did you come to faith and how are you believing in the resurrection? You see, many of us, and there's nothing wrong with this, came to faith because we were taught to believe. We were taught in some of you catechism, in Sunday school, as children, and that's all good. You know, your parents taught you how to believe, and you've come to this uh, mental conclusion that what you were taught is actual, is factual. Okay, I get that, and there's a place for that. Obviously, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and they will not depart from it. When they're old, they will not depart from it. We are to be taught. We are to learn about our faith. We are to learn about the Bible. But there are people, two come to mind, Saul of Tarsus and about a billion other professors who are teaching in secular universities around the world that probably know about, more about the Bible than many of us in this room who have no belief whatsoever. The mind has its place in our belief. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? My guess is you do. But if it's only a mental thing, if it's only a tradition, if it's only a ceremonial thing, if it's only something that you do ritualistically and it takes place between your mind, then we have a problem. Because we don't love with the mind. I'm all for wise Christians, and I'm 100% against Christians who look like idiots. And there are a few. I'm all for the mind of Christ. I'm all for being able to discern. I'm all for logic and reason and faith. I'm all for apologetics and understanding the relationship between science and faith. All of that has its place, don't get me wrong. We have to be thinkers who believe and believers who think. But when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
I'm not sure we believe with our minds. To make my point, if there was an Olympic event, think about this now, an Olympic event, and you were an Olympian, and your event was to get into a prayer competition with a first grader, who would win? Who would be more earnest? Who would be more passionate? Who would be more authentic? You know, if you're going to go about your faith in between your ears and believe in the resurrection mentally, then you are likely praying with the fervency and the intensity, the very same fervency and intensity that you have picking a can of soup off the shelf at the supermarket. We can ill afford to be people who simply believe mentally. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The mind doesn't get fervent. The mind is the mind, and it has its place. Case in point, let's put up Romans 10, 9 and 10 again. The one that's actually correct. It says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Think about it now. I just read a verse to you that was not one bit accurate and nobody said a word. Because we're looking at believing in the resurrection between our ears. No, he says if you believe in the resurrection in your heart, in your heart, in your heart. Hey, come on. If you want to find a church, if you're looking for a church who will preach the full counsel of the word of God and stimulate you intellectually and challenge you to not just use your mind to, to, uh, to judge and to condemn, but will move your faith further south from, from your head to your heart, you found one. There is a place for passion and emotion, but never a place for emotionalism. You and I are called to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And I would dare say, at any given Sunday, this one included, there are those among us who are believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your minds more than your hearts. And none of us are called to believe in only with our hearts and not our minds. That's where things really get goofy. How are you believing that God raised him from the dead. You know, I just want to say, I'm starting to hear phrases more and more often. I just don't have the words for that. You see it in the war coverage. I just don't have the words for that. I just don't have the bandwidth for that. I just don't know how to describe that. You know, there are things in the Christian faith that are meant not to be totally understood between your ears, and resurrection is one of them. If we believe with our mind, we're quick to change our mind. If we believe with our heart, we have something that's moved further deeper south, maybe even into the deep south. Nothing changes a heart 
longing after God. And no mind in here can explain the resurrection intelligently. They can defend it intelligently, but you can't explain it. There's no bandwidth. There's no words for it. That communion table over there, there are no words for that sacred mystery. Paul says, pray for me that I may be given the words to preach this mysterious gospel. See, the passionate believer, the sold-out believer, the heart, the heart of the believer who believes in the resurrection with all their heart, with all their heart, isn't going to be convinced otherwise. No, never. You see, Roman cities had this... Uh, this commonality between them when the city planners and the architects laid out the cities. Some of you have been to Bet Xi'an with my wife and I. From the north part of the town to the south is a street. The street's called the Cardo. If you went to a Roman town, Roman city, and you walked the Cardo, the Cardo would reveal the essence of the people of the town. There you'd find how they interacted, how they did business, what they sold. You'd see their marketplace, you'd see their arts, you'd see everything that they had going on in the physical realm that expressed who they were in their essence. The cardo. What's your cardo? What does your heart, if put on tour, what would it reveal about the essence of what really, really, really is important to you, is a high priority, is the highest priority, and is non-negotiable? Somewhere on the cardo of your heart needs to be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For if there's no resurrection, there's no faith. If there's no resurrection, we're, we're false prophets. We're the most led, misled people in the face of the earth. We're the stupidest people on the face of the earth. If there's no resurrection, we're the most duped people on the face of the earth. You know why the love of many will wax cold in the end times? In great part, it's because it was never hot to begin with, because it happened mostly between people's ears. But our mental capacity is never to be underestimated, but it's never to be more so than our hearts, especially when it relates to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, you're, you're visiting today, and you know this. I talk to you often. You are literally, literally, being resurrected from the ashes of your life. And if that resurrection, that transformation, that sanctification, that, that abrupt 180 repentant turnaround doesn't yield something different than when you started, or if what, what is yielded different fades quickly, it's because it took place in your head and not your heart and not both. There has to be a heart cry for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your prayer life leaving this place today has to be, has to be a genuine critique of your heart, what motivates you, what is the essence of who you are, what makes your decisions for you. And it has to be predicated upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there's no preoccupation with the resurrection, with the new life, with the new birth, with something new and living in your life, if you don't know that the old things have passed away, you just stop thinking about it. You think that's, that's reality? That's a mind game. You just want to deny things in your life? You just want to rationalize things in your life? You want to all that to happen up here? That's a game. I'm talking about a heart cry for the resurrection. The person with a heart cry for the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
speaks out of the abundance of their heart to other people who are perishing unapologetically, unabashedly, unreservedly, under the anointing of the Spirit. The resurrection has to be in our heart. If we don't understand what that means, we need to, to ask question of the one who came up with it, who, of the one who wants to deposit that further deeper south into our hearts. See, the, the cardo of your life is your authentic person. It's what circulates through every system of your body and every system of your life. See, when the resurrection's in your heart, it, it moves on your marriage, your parenting, your family, how you take care of yourself, how you make money, how you invest money. See, the cardo circulates the belief in the resurrection, the new life throughout every aspect of your life. If you have dead areas of your life that have yet to be resurrection, resurrected, it's because of your belief resting too much in your head and not enough in your heart. I would not at time now, today I feel pretty good. I could take a first grader in prayer. I'm feeling pretty good up here right now. I could take a first grader. But there are many days I wouldn't make the podium. And I think if we're honest, we can all say that as well. Mind versus heart. You lean one way more than the other. If I don't love enough, it's because I'm probably trying to love with my mind. I've never heard anybody say, I love you with all my mind. You know, there are many people that say, I love you with all my heart, but what they really mean is I love you with all my mind. You see, the art, the the heart yields results, actions. You see, if I say I love you with all my heart, I'm more prone to empty the dishwasher. I love you with all my mind. I'll come up with a reason why I don't need to. Faith without works is dead. And those of you who are laughing, I've made a mental image in my mind of you. And I just want to say I love you with all my heart. Yeah, I change my mind daily. But if I love you with my heart, I love you with the essence of who I am. What defines me? Better yet, who defines me? When you pray, you pray with your mind. You pray with your heart. Why would, a, why would a guy stand up in front of people every Sunday and then at, some, at one point in time preach a message to grown adults about we should be cr- crying more often, weeping more often, hurt more often, broken more often? Because the Christ who is in us is a weeper and the weeper wants out. We should be leaking more often on behalf of one another. What keeps us from, from empathy? Our minds. Minds that say that person's not really worth it anyway. Or worse yet, that's eh, not really how I'm wired. Can I just say this? Who really cares how you're wired? And what does that have to do with anything? More important than that, who's living within you? And how does he live through you? He chose to live through you, regardless of, quote, how you're wired. 
I can't fall back on that. You shouldn't either. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Your, your life ought to look like him. It ought to be him. He is your life. He's in your heart, not in your head. I gotta be honest with you. When I was born again and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, he did. He did. You know what some of us do? And I don't mean, don't take this the wrong way. It has to be more than this. I have decided to follow Jesus. Great. But the decision has to make its way from your head to your heart. You made a mental decision. Touchdown, sort of. But the extra point is getting it down in your heart. That's where it happens. That's where, that's where it fleshes out. Because when he's in your heart, Well, let's talk about when he's in your head. Saul, he's a spiritual terrorist, Saul of Tarsus. He's a curmudgeon. He's horribly mean. He's locking up Christians, for crying out loud. In the name of God. I mean, how much worse do you want? I'd rather, be, I'd rather be godless than use God to swear murderous threats out against people. At least I'm not a bad billboard. That guy was horrible, but he was smart as a whip. Smart as a whip. But when he became Saul, uh, Saul became Paul, what a touchy-feely, gooey, affectionate, loving, kind, tender. What happened to that guy? His faith moved from his head south, down the Cardo, to a place where it just kind of hung out for three years in the desert. Listen, this is important. Some people hear a message like this and they go, I'm gonna think about that for about an hour and a half this week. Or they don't say that and they think about it for 45 minutes. Or, these guys in the Bible, they did something. It was different than us. They live in a different culture, different time. And praise the Lord, they didn't have cell phones. When they set to go off and figure something out, they did it for 40 days, three years, 40 years. You see, they knew that what they were trying to figure out was of the greatest importance, more important than anything else in their life, so they basically put everything on hold and just fixated on that one. are based on the today. If there's some aspect of your faith, if I'm speaking and pushing on a button that you have right now, you need to take that and say, I'm going to give myself the next six months to figure this out. Oh, I'm gonna give myself here, guys, the next year to figure this out. That sounds like an, an unbelievable commitment. That's a short period of time for something so important. And it's not a year anyway. 
99% of the time we're doing something goofy. The one thing we need to do is get God down in our heart, the resurrection down in our heart. If you were, if you were uh, transitioning out of a business, if you were approaching an equity firm, if you were changing the trajectory of your business, if you were bringing in a new product line, you'd sit down with people around the table and say, how long is this gonna take before the rollout? Some guy in the back, some bean counter says, I don't know, probably gonna take six to nine months. Another guy goes, yeah, that sounds good, but more like a year. So And nobody start working on it, nobody We gotta get our important than anything else. It's gonna affect your marriage, your well-being, your identity, your purpose, the rest of your life, what you teach your grandchildren, your children. It's gonna change everything. All right, give me a couple days, see if I can figure it out. Slow down. Prioritize. Anything more important than getting the resurrection down here. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the cardo, the mouth speaks. When the resurrection of new life is in your heart, when you speak, it's uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, wise, thought-provoking, inspirational, corrective. It's all the things of the Spirit. Is your belief in the resurrection in your heart, or is it hanging out on top of your head? And the answer probably isn't one or the other. It's probably something in between. And that's for you to figure out. That's for you to figure out. That's for you to ask God about. I have a responsibility to you, but I am not responsible for you. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Wait a minute, is that right? Love, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I thought I said mine there for a minute. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice the progression. The mind is not excluded, but it's not first either. We want to love each other, not with what we intended in our head to do. We want to say things, not just what we intended in our head to say, but sometimes they come out different. We want the heart of the matter, the cardo. There's a, another thing about cardos I didn't tell you. The bigger the city, the bigger the deal. They called it the cardo maximus. I like that. Look at me, everything about me is maximus. My stature that intimidates people, my voice that causes people to want to sit on 64 during the service. I am the epitome of Maximus. I hope that's in your head and not your heart. 
Let's have our musicians come up. I'll read the story to you. Picture this in your mind, would you? Luke 14, 16 to 24. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all the things are now ready. Food's prepped, place settings, lights are set the way they want them, tables are organized, floor's been swept, bathrooms are clean. Everything's ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, hey, I've bought a piece of ground and I, I gotta go and must go and see it. I ask, you to have, I ask you to have me excused, he says. And another said, I, have, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. <laughs> that sounds pretty important. Can you imagine going another day without testing the oxen? That's crucial. I don't even know why. That's a terrible thing to put in this passage. I, I, I excuse that guy immediately with the oxen testing rationale. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come.